excited to get into the Word with you today. If you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, we've really spent the entirety of this new year, which it doesn't even feel like a new year anymore. We've kind of like got to that point where we, we write 23 on our checks or, our, you know, you know, nobody writes checks. We write 23 on whatever it is uh, rather than 22, right? But it's still kind of the beginning of the year. We're still in the first quarter. And so we've been talking about making room. We, we've called this series Make Room, that we want to make room for God to move. We, we've discovered in the Word that there's something that happens when we choose intentional emptiness. Whether that's intentional emptiness in our finances, like we just talked about. I'm going to choose 90% over 100% because I believe God's going to do more with the 90 I'm going to empty this area of my life. When maybe it's emptiness in our calendar. There's things that we're doing that are good things, but they're preventing us from doing the God things that we know he's created us for. So we're going to eliminate some things, even that we enjoy, even that are good, because we want to make room for God to have enough time to pour into us, to meet with us, to use us for his glory. So we're talking about making room. Last week we talked about making room to serve. I'm so grateful to be in a room full of servants. Man, a room full of people who pour out their lives for one another to serve. I'm so grateful for, for each and every one of you who volunteer, who, who choose to give up time in your schedule, to make room in your schedule to say, man, God put something in me. God gave me time. God gave me talent. God gave me treasure. And I'm going to use that to build his kingdom. I'm going to use that to point to Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. Today, I want to talk to you in part nine of our series about making room for one another. Making room for one another. The reality is in our culture, in our time, in our generation, we are really bad at this. We're really bad at this. In fact, I see some, some, some old heads in the room, right? Like I see some veterans in the room, some OGs in the room that you've been around for previous generations. And if we had time to interview you, I promise you, each of these people who, who, who are a little older, who are a little more seasoned, they could tell us how growing up life looked a whole lot different. And they spent a lot more time with others than our kids spend with others right now. Man, they spend a lot more time encountering one another, not just as kids, not just in childhood, but in life. There, there, there was a day and age, believe it or not, where when the phone rang on the wall, the whole family got excited. Who is it? Right? Somebody wants to talk to us. That was, that's not that long ago. Now the phone rings and we're like, roll our eyes and we hit ignore and we pray that they don't call back. Right? This, the world has changed. Right? We're not excited for anybody anymore. Now we even know who it is. There's no mystery. There's, there's no, man, I got to find out who wants to talk to me. It's like, them again? Really? Like, I just talked to you about three months ago. Uh, why do I need to talk to you now? And, and, and I'm having some fun with this, but, but I think these things are really symptomatic of some deep cultural issues where we have moved culturally away from God's best. And away from God's design. Let me illustrate this for you a few ways this morning. There, there are two really common illustrations that I've used before. And so I'm going to reference them really quick. But then we're going to move past them to, to some other ones. The, the most common illustrations are what, kind of what we just talked about, the phone. Right? The, the, the smartphone has empowered us to be completely self-sufficient. Man, I can entertain myself with this little device throughout the day. I've got social media. I've got notifications. I've got email. I've got Netflix. I've got Disney Plus. I've got everything I need right here, and I don't need nobody else. 
and, and, and we trick ourselves into believing we're connected because we see this, this glossy version of one another on social media and we think we know what's really going on in their lives. But we don't. That's an image we choose to project on social media. It's not the real nitty-gritty of what's happening. And so we trick ourselves through our smartphones. There, there, there's another area that has really sprung up that is highly impactful here, and that's what we went through with COVID, right? Now, in our part of the country, we experienced this a little bit less, thankfully, than other parts of the country did. I, I have friends in, uh, on the West Coast and they're just now getting fully reopened in certain aspects. They're just now getting back on site. In fact, I have a, I have a buddy in the Washington area uh, that their church just reopened in fall of last year. They were closed for two and a half years. Uh, and, and he's having a really hard time. Can I even go back? Right? Like, like the, the church shut down for so long. Why would they do this to my family? Why would they do this to us? And so this isolation has massively, massively increased. Through COVID, uh, you, you've probably heard statistics, but there's things like mental illness has gone up 25% since COVID started. 25% anxiety and depression has just skyrocketed. And we, we have what I would call the epidemic of isolation. Now, we had a pandemic of, uh, of a virus, but I don't think the virus was the most dangerous thing. I think the isolation that the virus created has been far more impactful and far more damaging and far more dangerous even than the, the virus. And I'm not trying to downplay the virus. A lot of people died. A lot of people were impacted. I had friends who died in their 40s. Right? Like, like people who had a lot of life ahead of them. So I'm not trying to diminish COVID. I'm just saying the isolation that it created for those that were left behind is perhaps even more deadly than the virus itself. Suicide rates through the roof. Opioid addiction rates through the roof. Like across the board, we can go through every indicator of the dangers of isolation, and they're all insane. Kids who, who are nowhere near grade level now because they had to do school, virtual school, where they really didn't learn much of anything. Right? And, and so all these kids are behind and all of these metrics to measure where they're supposed to be. We're dumbing down the metrics now. We're readjusting and recalculating where kids should be instead of saying, hey, we got work to do to get them back up. We're just going to lower the bar. And so we have this epidemic that isolation has created. And I don't believe it just affects us emotionally or academically or, or mentally. I believe it's deeply impacted us spiritually. See, I believe we were already too isolated before COVID. This isn't something that, that came in and messed up a good thing. This is something that came in and amplified a weakness we already deeply experienced. So let me give you a couple of subtle things to help illustrate what is going on. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church, Oklahoma City, in one of his books, he talked about this years ago, like 15 years ago. Uh, but, but he used an illustration that I had never thought of. He, he talks about how technology has created deeper isolation and, and deeper separation amongst us. And he used a really simple illustration. He said stuff like the electric garage door opener. I've never thought about this. We just got into a new home last fall, and we actually use our garage in this new home. We've never used a garage other than like storage, but we actually park our vehicle in the garage now. So what happens when you come in and you click that little button and the garage door opens? You don't have to see your neighbors. You don't have to nod. 
You don't have to wave. You don't have to say, hey, you don't even have to look the other way, right? Like, you just cruise into the garage, and you're in the safety of your own home, and there's no even acknowledgement that there could have been an interaction between you and the people that live next door or across the street or whatever the case may be. Uh, Old southern homes, you guys may have noticed this, used to be almost every home was built with a front porch, even the small homes. Even, even the homes that, that, that weren't very nice, they had a front porch. Why? Because they didn't have air conditioning. And so what would you do? On a hot summer night, you would go sit on the front porch and hit your rocking chair with your sweet tea or your lemonade, right? And, and you would sit there, and you know what would happen? The people across the street were on their front porch. And the people next door were on their front porch. Well, what has happened in society over the last 50, 60, 70 years is we've moved from front porch people to backyard people. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for my backyard. Man, we got an awesome backyard. God has blessed us, and I'm grateful for it. But you know what happens in the backyard? There's a bigger fence. There's more seclusion. There's privacy. And it's great to have privacy, but little by little by little, we have eroded community to the point that most of us don't even barely know our neighbors. We just don't. And so what's happened is we have carried these traits over into the church, into God's house. And it's like, I don't really need anybody else. I can come and sit in a room on Sunday morning and worship and say, hey, for one minute during a greeting time that my pastor forces me to do, and I'll push through that and get out of here and not really have any real relationship with anybody. And we're experiencing this epidemic of isolation. Here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe God has wired us, created us for community, for connection. And I'm not talking about just the extroverts in the room who, like, get excited for this message. I'm talking about all of us. I'm talking about regardless of your personality traits, regardless of your unique ability or, or willingness to connect, there's something in you that craves it. There's something in you that needs this. There's something in each of us. In fact, if we go back to the creation story, which I love to go back to the beginning, I'm a big believer in the rule of first, of the first time something happens, it's a good indicator of God's design. In the creation story, in chapter 1, and the first 17 verses of chapter 2, God looks down nine different times and says it's good. Nine different times. The end of each day of creation, it's good. Uh, on day six, he says it's good twice. He says it's good when he creates the animals. And then he looks at Adam and Eve and says it's very good. Again and again, or as he creates humanity, he declares it's good. He, he says there was trees that were good for food in the garden. Again and again, all through the list, he says it's good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he says this. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Now we can use that as a marriage verse, and it obviously is explicitly suggesting marriage. He's about to create Eve, and there's going to be this first marriage. But the first time God ever says something is not good, hear me out on this church, it's before sin fell. This is not the broken world that God did not design. This is God's world that he created perfectly, and yet he looks down and he says, something's missing. Man, Adam's got me. And he's got relationship with me, but he needs somebody like himself. Somebody to do life with. And yes, it's a marriage verse, but I think it has implications far beyond marriage. Because in the New Testament, we find out that, hey, not everybody's called to be married. 
Not everybody's called to have children. Not everybody's called to have a family. Some people have a specific calling and a special calling to singleness, but they still need to not be alone. None of us are called to isolation, even though we may be called to singleness. You hear what I'm saying? Nobody is supposed to be alone. In fact, would you do me a favor this morning? Would you look at the person next to you and say, don't be alone? (laughs) Teresa was sitting by herself and felt alone on the front row. So Carolyn uh, solved that for us. Thank you, Carolyn, uh, speaking to that. Um, Check this out. The, The World Health Organization said this, it said, one major explanation for the 25% increase in global mental health issues during the pandemic is the unprecedented stress caused by the social isolation resulting from the pandemic. This is the WHO who created the policies that created most of the isolation. Okay, this is the group responsible for a lot of the isolation. They even look back afterwards and say, look, we've got this massive pandemic, this epidemic of mental health issues. This isn't just an American thing. This isn't just an an us thing. This is globally 25% increase in mental health through the pandemic. And they realize it's because of all the isolation. It is not good for us to be alone. It's just not. Man, loneliness creates so many issues. It creates opportunities for the enemy to move, for the enemy to discourage, for the enemy to work on us. You've heard me use this illustration before, but I think it's so, so prevalent. In in 1 Peter, the word of God tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm nerdy enough to know that the way that lions hunt, lions don't go for the biggest, baddest zebra. Lions are not like, hey, man, let's take on the greatest challenge. We're going after the strongest giraffe. We're taking him out. We're taking over the crown. What do lions do? They look for the weak, the young, the isolated, and the separated. And that's the one they attack. And the word of God says that Satan operates the same way. It's a whole lot easier for him to take us out when we're isolated than when we're in community. And so we all need community. So today, in just a few moments, we're going to share with you our city group opportunities. This is our small group ministry at City Church. You've got this green sheet in your seat. You don't need to look at it right now, but just just making you aware of it. We've got five different groups coming up. Let, Let me say this. It's not the only way to get in community. This is not the only way for you to have community. You can have community outside of your church through ball clubs and neighborhoods and, and workplaces and, and lots of different communities, right? But, but I believe that God has designed for us to have biblical, godly community within the church. Not exclusively. You've got your family. You've got other people. But that, man, while we worship together, we should be doing life together. And, and so I want to encourage you, if you're not into, in a city group, to, to open up the possibility. Now, I know the response. Man, I'm already busy. Man, we're so busy. We got two kids, one starting softball and one starting baseball, like next week starting practices. And I just picked up some Wednesday night responsibilities I haven't had for a long time, right? Like our schedule is full. So I get it when you look at it and you're like, hey, I got a lot going on. I am right there with you. I just believe community is worth it. It's just worth it. And it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth pushing some stuff aside and finding out how to do it and maybe increasing some busyness for a season, it's worth it because we need each other. So I want to share with you from my heart three reasons to make room 
for city groups. Now, if you're going to be in discovery uh, in, in a little while, you're going to see these again. And so dwindle, I'm empowering you just to like really buzz through this part because we talked about it this morning. But this is our DNA. This is what we believe about city groups. And so you're actually going to see it in discovery. What do city groups do? City groups, number one, give me a place to connect. It's a place to connect. It's a place to, to come together. I see some of you right now nodding your heads because you've experienced the connection that comes through city groups. I've been part of, of one city group, our Man Up group, uh, for, for almost 10 years now. We've been meeting uh, off and on on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. Uh, and that group of dudes is, is so valuable to me. Man, those of you who are part of Man Up, I cannot thank you enough for getting up early, for making the sacrifice, for bringing sauces, biscuits once every 10 weeks or whatever the rotation looks like so that we can eat breakfast together. You guys have impacted my life so deeply. I think the material is awesome. I, I, I think the things that we get to cover is, is wonderful. But my favorite thing about that group is the men that I get to deal with. Um, the opportunity to connect. So many of you I wouldn't know nearly as well as I do if it wasn't for city groups. Man, I, I've gotten to know what's going on in your family, what's going on in your life. You've gotten to know what's going on in my life, my struggles, my challenges. Y years ago, um, we had some challenges with my mom. Uh, and, and we had to set some boundaries that were really hard. I'd never set any boundaries with my mom. Uh, and, and I was really struggling and wrestling with this conversation that we had to have. And many of you know now, since she's passed away last month, that my mom wrestled with mental illness most of her life and chronic pain most of her life. And she's a different person today than she was back then. She is healed. She is well. I'm going to meet a new Maryland Southern when I get to heaven. And I can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to that. So I please, I do not want to dishonor my mom, but, but just to share how city groups have impacted my life. Um, we had to have a really hard conversation one year at Thanksgiving. My parents lived in North Carolina, and we were going to go home, and we've been praying about this conversation and how we were going to, to set some boundaries. And, and I shared all that with them then. I couldn't share it up here because my mom watched our live stream. And I'm not going to dishonor my mom. I'm, I'm going to honor her and love her. And, and so there's a lot of things that you're probably not going to share on Sunday morning in the lobby. doesn't mean it's not going on in your life. Right? There's certain things that can't go to everybody. There's certain things that the whole church doesn't need to know about. But you do need a tribe. You need a group. You need a, a small group surrounding you that's going to be praying for you, that's going to be speaking encouragement into you, that's going to be checking in on you. Yo, how'd it go? Man, tell me what happened. I need to know what's going on. And so this group of men, man, that I connected with, they've walked through stuff with me for a long time. And I'm so grateful for that. City Groups gives us a place to connect. 1 Corinthians 9.22 in the Living Bible says this. Paul's talking about evangelism, but I think it applies in other areas as well. He says, yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him. So he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. So Paul says, look, I'm always looking for common ground. I'm always looking for a connection. I'm always looking for what is that thing that we have in common? Our lives might look different. We might be from different areas, from different, from different parts of the world. Our family may not be similar, but there's something that we have in common. What do city groups do? Gives me a chance to find out there's something we have in common. Gives me a chance to find out I'm not the only one that's jacked up. Praise God. There's other messed up people out there. There's other broken families out there, right? Like all of us are working through stuff together because on Sunday morning we put on our, our Christian face. 
right? Because on social media, some of us just project good things. Now there's people who are super dramatic on social media too, and that's a whole other thing. Uh, but, but I'm talking about real, authentic, this is what I'm going through in life. And having people to be there with you and walk through those things is so massively impactful. You need a place to connect. Secondly, City Groups gives us a place to grow. A place to grow. I am so, so glad that I'm not the same guy as I was 10 years ago. I got a lot more growing to do. I got a lot more becoming like Jesus to do. But I'm so glad that I'm not still where I was in 2013. Why? Because God's helped me grow. Now that comes through a lot of things. It doesn't just come through city groups. Please don't misunderstand. But city groups is a piece of that process. I believe anybody that you talk to that went through a city group last semester, they'd be able to tell you some area that they grew. Man, you were in the marriage group. You were in Steve's message application group. Man, you, you saw God do this. You heard God move this way. You were in our women's group with Michelle. Man, God did something in your life to make you a little bit more like Jesus. How have I grown through city groups? Uh, the group that I've been a part of for so long, and I've been a part of a lot of other groups through, through the years as well, because ours is 6 a.m. on Tuesdays, and so sometimes I still get to be involved in a Thursday night group or, or a Sunday night group or something. But every semester I've been a part of Man Up, and so it's helped me get a better concept of what it means to be a husband, better concept of what it means to be a dad, better concept of what it means to, to be a man who follows Jesus. Most of you guys know I'm not the manliest dude out there. Uh, I, I, I cry. I get emotional, right? Like I can't fix a car. I'm worthless with a wrench. Like there are things, pray for Melody is what I'm saying. Um, but uh, that, those are not my strengths, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the guy's guy when it comes to like sports. Uh, I can have those conversations and, and really engage on that level. But there's a lot of like I've never like fired a gun and killed an animal with it, right? Uh, that's I know some of you are like, how you know, why am I even at your church? Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, these are my confessions. Uh, this is the truth. Uh, and and so, what has that done? It's helped me understand what biblically being a man really is, because biblically being a man isn't all those things that our culture defines as manly. Not even the sports side, right? There's something deeper. That biblical manhood is, even I'm, I'm called to lead a family. I'm called to lay down my life for my wife. And, and please, when I say that I've grown, that doesn't mean that I've got it mastered. Because I don't. But I've seen the impact that it's made in my life. I've been able to grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman, one person sharpens another. That just getting close to each other creates an edge, a sharpness. Now, sometimes getting close to each other is intimidating. It's scary. Why? Because we've been burned by somebody. I got close to this person, and they betrayed me. I got close to this person, and, and they shared my stuff that was only supposed to be me and, between me and them, right? And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take a bad experience in our past to use it to prevent a good experience in our future. What does he do? He came to steal and kill and destroy. And he's good at it. He's been doing it for a long time. And so if he can use some way that this has been misused in your life, some way that you've experienced this poorly, some way that you've been discouraged through connection, he's going to use it to isolate you. Why? Because Not because he wants you to be protected. 
Not because he wants life to be better for you. Not because he wants to make sure you never go through pain again. He wants to isolate you so he can take you out. So he can destroy you. And so the reality is we're all fallen people. We're all broken people. We all have good days and bad days. And sometimes we even hurt each other. Let's all get signed up for city groups. We all hurt each other. Praise God. Right? It's the truth. But I believe even the pain of that brokenness and those shortcomings and those times that we let each other down, even that is worth pushing through for people. That community is even more important than those wounds. And I get it. Those things hurt. They're painful. They, they cause us to shrink back. But the enemy's so, so good at creating division, creating separation, so that we don't come together and experience the community God has for us. I'm grateful in the, the 10 years I've been in these groups or however long it's been, I can't really think of one real time where somebody has betrayed my confidence. I can't think of one time where somebody has gone, and maybe that's because, you know, it's 6 in the morning and nobody remembers what we say to each other. Um, I don't know. Uh, but, but I'm grateful that these men have guarded and protected and Man, my confidence and my trust, even as their leader, even as their pastor, that, that they've had my back. And I'm not hearing from all these other people in the church about this struggle that Pastor Troy shared on Tuesday morning. You guys have had my back, so I'm so grateful for that. We're sharpening each other. We're becoming more like Jesus because we're around each other. Thirdly, City Groups gives me a place to protect. A place to protect. First, it gives me a place to connect. Secondly, it gives me a place to grow. Thirdly, it gives me a place to protect. What do, what do I mean by that? I mean that we protect each other. I mean that not only has, is it a blessing for me to be around you and, and what it does in my life, but there's actually this reverse effect where God's designed me to be able to be a blessing to the people that are in my group. And sometimes we're, we're such like a self-driven culture, we just want to know like, what's this going to do for me? How's this going to impact my life? That's the first question we all ask, and that's normal, okay? I get that. But can I just tell you that there's something about city groups that's beyond you? Can I just tell you the importance of community, of, of you pushing through and getting really to connect with people? Not the Sunday morning, hey, what's up? Not the, hey, here's which creamer did you pick at the coffee bar? This one's my favorite, right? Like, like the actual, like, real-life connection. The power of that, yes, it's going to bless you. Yes, it's going to come in handy for you. Yes, it's going to help you connect. Yes, it's going to help you grow. Yes, it's going to help you not to deal with the deep levels of, of isolation and mental illness and all that stuff that comes. I'm not saying it's the cure for all of it. I'm saying it's a part of the cure for it. But there's also a part here where God's designed you to be there for somebody else. Where God's designed you to be a protection in somebody else's life. Let me illustrate this. About a month ago, I did my mom's funeral. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm talking about like a spiritual weight because I had a lot of unsaved family that was going to be there. That, that I don't know if they're ever going to get a chance to hear the gospel again. And I was just wrestling with this and then... It was probably the closest I've ever been to, like, a panic attack. I don't know exactly what a panic attack feels like, but I've never felt so much anxiety and so much stress and so much just, like, panic. Like, what am 
I'm going to do? And I'm not talking about on stage at the funeral. I'm talking about like preparing for the message. And so the, the funeral, I think, was on a, a Tuesday evening or it was a Thursday. I don't know. Whatever night it was. Um, it's been a, a crazy 2023 already. It's been a blur. Whatever night it was, um, I didn't have my message prepared that afternoon because I just kept putting it off and because the weight of it was too much. And so finally, I'm, I'm trying to put this together. I lock myself in my dad's office at his house in North Carolina, and uh, I'm just like weeping. And I know you guys see me cry on sti- stage a lot. I usually only cry either on stage or like at a movie uh, or, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really cry at funerals. Uh, I don't really cry at weddings. Like, I, I'm a weird crier. I cry over not normal things. Uh, so usually when I'm talking, like if I'm speaking, that's when the emotions come out, even in like one-on-one conversations. But I, I don't usually just cry over stuff that makes a lot of people cry. And so I'm just weeping, just uncontrollably. And I get an idea. I texted my boys and I said, I said, I need you guys to pray for me. Now I texted some other people too, but I pe- texted man up first. Before I texted other pastors that I lean on, be- before I texted our staff, before I texted our elders, the first response, my first line of defense was my minute man up. Why? Because they know all the stuff I've been through. They know the challenges and the complexity of my relationship with my mom. They know the the weight that I felt going home to do this funeral. And so the first people who God brings to my mind to reach out to and say, I'm struggling. I need some prayer. I need somebody to go before the throne of God on my behalf right now. The first people, my small group, my city group. I can't thank you guys enough. For the encouragements you sent back, for all the people who promised you were going to be praying, and, and all the others who aren't in Man Up, who I texted too. I know I texted many of you, but there's a protection that comes from having a community. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. It, it doesn't happen by just showing up and keeping your mouth shut. It happens by actually letting people in. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need prayer for right now. And as we open up to those things, God builds these bonds and this connection that's so powerful and so impactful and so needed. Why? Because it's not good for us to be alone. We need each other. And life used to be done in such a way that it just happened and it didn't have to be so intentional didn't have to be pursued to the degree it has to be pursued now, but that's not the life we live. That's not the generation we live in. And so we can choose to default to the way that the world around us does things and stay isolated and stay discouraged. Or we can say, God's got something better for me. And it might be hard. It, it, it might require sacrifice. There might be some difficulties and some challenges in this. But I need a place to protect. I need a place to grow. I need a place to connect. 1 John 3.16 in the New Living says this. It says, we know. Everybody say, we know. We know what real love is because Christ, Christ gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah, I get to give up my life for other people, right? Nobody's like putting that as their life first. This is what God has called us to. This is what God has designed us to. We need each other. Can I just tell you, I need you. 
Leave them alive. And I think you guys need me too. Not because I'm Pastor Troy. Because I love Jesus. And he's put me in your life for this season to fill a role and to be there for you. And so we're called to one another. We all need a place to glory. We all need a place to connect. We all need a a place to protect. So do you have one? Where are you at right now? Man, maybe your schedule really is completely prohibitive. I think probably most of us can find an opportunity. Maybe you can't be there every week, but you can be there every other week, right? You can can be there at some level of frequency. I want to encourage you, man, find a way to carve out the message. Find a way to, even even this semester, this semester is 10 weeks long. I'll try it for 10 weeks and just see what kind of an impact it makes in your life. And if it's, you know what, that was worthless to me, that didn't work, then let's find you another group next semester. Uh, You're going to find a tribe. You're going to find some people who do life with you because there's so much value in it. Because it's not good for us to be alone. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me?